Welcome back to the Jim Leach Show. On a day where Sangamon County has seen its biggest one-day number of new COVID cases so far this year, we realize that we are really dealing with more than one pandemic. There's the virus itself, but there's also the pandemic of misinformation and disinformation, and they're not the same thing as it pertains to the virus itself, to the various mitigations, to vaccination, etc. A few weeks back, we talked with Dr. Tracy Smith of the Illinois Public Health Association about the Pandemic Navigator Program that is assisting families as they are coping with various challenges related to COVID. Well, that organization is itself one of those dealing with the challenge of the misinformation that is out there and is working to combat it. And so we today are starting what we hope is going to be a regular series of discussions with Dr. Tracy Smith about some of those big misconceptions that are out there and uh, to then set the record straight with the the real truth about it all. Dr. Tracy Smith, welcome back to the program. So uh, happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I want to start by just asking from a public health perspective and the work that you and your colleagues are doing to try to keep people safe and to help them weather this uh, public health crisis. How big a problem, how big a challenge is it when you have to combat this type of misinformation and the misconceptions and myths that are out there? It's a big challenge. Um, you know, we can, there, there's a lot of reasons for the myths. And the, and the feelings around those myths that's out there. And so it's not just as easy as saying, here's the facts, right? Or here's the information. There's a lot of history that goes into making those kind of decisions and those kind of feelings about vaccinations or masking, et cetera. So it's, it's not just a simple challenge that we can turn around. It, it does take a, a process. So it is a very difficult time for those of us who are really trying to make sure that the scientific information is being heard and understood. This is a really important point, and you know, and we've talked a lot in this program about some of the uh, just kind of the the wild, almost conspiracy theory type things that are out there. But in some cases, there are people who have a resistance or a reluctance that's based upon a long history in their communities of mistrust of uh, the the medical establishment, of a, a lack of access, and what sometimes seems like a a lack of empathy or or concern for certain parts of the the population uh, to be able to get the. Access to the same kind of health care. And so I know that has to be part of it as well. People have some of this mistrust because history has taught them to have it. Yes, that's very true. And there's there's no getting around that fact that our systems have at times created the mistrust or the 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 uncomfortability with our healthcare system or the fear of that system. And so again asking individuals exactly what is it that is leading to those certain feelings around our the believing of a certain topic around the COVID vaccinations and the COVID um, virus itself is very critical because it, it, there are so many varying reasons for what we're facing that we can't just put a blanket statement out there. We need to sit down with individuals and really help them to work through this fear or this trust. 
you know, another another point uh, that I, I think needs to be brought out is that, as we've noted here, there's misinformation. There's also disinformation. They're not the same thing. And it sometimes seems like some of the uh, false narratives surrounding the virus and mitigations are being done deliberately. It serves a political uh, or an ideological agenda. Uh, from, from your public health perspective, is that something that's happening, too? Is some of the m- uh, misconceptions that are out there... Are they being fueled and fed deliberately as part of somebody's agenda? That is something that is very likely to occur with with many situations, right? When we face them in healthcare and other places. So yes, there are people who can use situations like this to fuel their agenda. And so in public health, we feel it's very important to make the distinction and remove that from being involved in that conversation such as with masking. You know, we really have to remove the political conversation from masking, which we know is a public health mitigation process that works to decrease the infections and viruses spreading. Talking with Dr. Tracy Smith, Illinois Public Health Association, and we have lost her, unfortunately. So we're going to see if we can get her back on the line here. If uh, Dr. Smith uh, will uh, check back in with us here, uh, we'll continue the the conversation here momentarily because we really want to get into some of the specific things that uh, we have been encountering here in terms of the... uh, the, the false narratives that are out there. And I believe, uh, hopefully, now we have Dr. Tracy Smith back with us. Doctor, are you there? Sorry. No, that's that's yes, okay. <laughs> uh, these, these... Well, and we, we do have a bit of a, a, a difficult connection there, and I want to make sure we can hear you clearly. Uh, so let me just, because uh, you, you started to talk about mask wearing. I know that's a, a big issue we want to talk about. We hear it a lot here uh, on this program of people who are suggesting that masks are, are harmful, that uh, actually they don't, you know, not only don't do any good, but they may be doing more harm than good. Uh, from the public health perspective, what, what do we know? What are the real facts about the efficacy of masks and, and what they mean in terms of trying to control the ongoing spread of COVID? We know that masks have always been a really critical part of a public health fight against viruses and other diseases. So if we look at what masks actually do, is they help to prevent certain particles from reaching the place that they want to take over, right? So if we think about COVID virus, for instance, the COVID virus molecules are too big to penetrate outside the masks that we wear. And if those viruses don't come out and get into the air and back into another person from someone who's infected, we can decrease the amounts of infections happening. Some people say, well, the carbon monoxide, the carbon um, buildup is too high when someone's wearing a mask. Well, those molecules are very small and they escape the masks. They are not kept out of the air. They escape easily around the way masks hit us. And so that is not something that's happening that we're seeing. And there's a lot of current research going into this to make sure and to double check and to look for other ways that maybe masking may be causing any concerns that are out there. But at this point, we're not seeing the the concerns around masking being supported in the research. 
Another <clears throat> argument we hear repeated regularly is that the masks are somehow uh, a, a psychological problem for, for children. They just struggle with the notion of having this mask on all day. It becomes very difficult for them to function. They uh, they struggle because they're not seeing other people's faces and, and getting those sorts of social cues that we have you know all been uh, accustomed to. Can you speak to that and what we know about how children in particular adapt to and deal with masks in the educational setting? So, you know, it's really good for us to have conversations about those concerns because we need to look at them and we need to make sure we're addressing those. There are ways to address those within the school setting to help overcome any of those potential side effects from wearing masks when we're having conversations. We also know in having interactions, we also know that there are certain um, children who need to be able to to make that visual contact with with the, the mouth and the face to be able to read those social cues and to have those interactions. But there are key things that we can do as parents. I'm a parent to a child who's 15 with autism, and she struggles to read social cues anyway. And then you put a mask, and that can be very tough. But I've had to be very – I've worked with her a lot to explain to her how to look at eyes, how to read eyes, how to, to – to accommodate for those types of cues that maybe she's not seeing now that she was so familiar with. So I think part of it comes back to us as parents and as, as educators to recognize that there are the way we respond to wearing masks and to having our children wear masks, whether we respond good or bad, leads to a lot of the responses of our children. And when I, we start to think about, uh-huh. no, I, go ahead. no, I, I just I think that's such an important point, and I, I really think it bears repeating and stressing. Uh, you know, kids, every kid's different, but it, it, in general, kids seem so resilient to me, and kids tend to take things more in stride unless the adults are freaking out about it, and it's when the adults make a big deal about it or, or turn it into a crisis that's when it's more likely to become a crisis for the kids. Correct. It really is. When I talk to kids. What I hear is the responses of their parents a lot of times to this type of, uh, to wearing masks, et cetera. So again, as parents and as teachers, we hold a lot of power and we need to, to build on that to help our kids be able to accommodate as well as they can. So it's just like to me, I think about, I, I, I've stressed to my children forever, you wear a winter coat in the winter. You put shoes on your feet when you go outside. You put closed-toed shoes on when it's freezing outside. You don't wear sandals. Those types of things I take granted that I do every day with my children and have taught them that. If I look at masking in the same process and that same preventive measure, this is what we get up in the morning, this is what we do. Do you have your mask and your coat? Do you have your gloves? Do you have your hat? That becomes part of a normal routine, and as we build that normalcy into it, a lot of the anxiety that our children can feel from wearing masks and spaces can be decreased and alleviated. Again, talking with Dr. Tracy Smith, the Illinois Public Health Association, about COVID myths and misconceptions. Uh, Obviously, uh, a lot of the challenges that public health professionals face right now is getting the the, the straight scoop out there as it pertains to the vaccine, to COVID vaccinations. And in particular, as we're now trying to get younger children vaccinated, too, parents are are understandably cautious about what they are uh, uh, allowing to be put into their children's bodies here. But let's talk about pediatric vaccinations the importance of them, uh, and, and why it is necessary for parents to, to really you know, give strong consideration to having their children 5 to 11 vaccinated. Yeah, so it was a really exciting 
it's a really good time for us that we're able to have vaccinations now for our children um, from ages five and above. And so the importance of that is very critical. While we know that kids may not get as sick or have as many deaths from COVID-19 as adults do, they are affected by it. And we do see deaths from COVID-19. We do see kids being admitted to the hospital. And so this is a wonderful way, again, for us as parents and as guardians to be able to take care and provide our children with those, those important preventive pieces to keep them healthy. The vaccination itself for children has been developed to reach the highest immune response with the lowest dose. And that's why the dosing is at a third of what it is for an adult. And it's not based upon the age, it's not based upon the weight, but it's based upon the age. Because with the research that was done, that's where they saw the highest response. The immune response they wanted to achieve was by looking at it by age. And that's a little different for many individuals who are used to vaccinations for children. But that has been scientifically researched and studied, and that's why those recommendations are there. The, the, so I would recommend for everybody right now is a great time for kids to get vaccinated. You can get one dose in before you have your family gatherings. You can get that second dose in before your family gatherings. You can get your kids those vaccinations while they're at home. So you won't have to have an extra day off from work if you're concerned about side effects, those types of things. This is a time when kids are going to be home. Let's get those vaccinations done. And there are plenty of openings. Um, yesterday, a friend of mine took their their younger child to get vaccinated at our local health department, and they said they have plenty of openings to get kids in for those pediatric doses. The rejoinder is often, though, kids aren't really at risk from COVID, that uh, you know, kids don't get very sick. Uh, it's just not something we should even have to be all that concerned about. But we know when the Delta variant started to rise over the summer, we saw more kids winding up in hospitals. Hospitalizations and total cases are going up again. We don't know how extensive the Omicron variant is among us. Uh, how much of a danger does COVID represent for children? I mean, if we look at November data, for instance, we know that there there's about 28 million children that fall into that 5 to 11-year age range. 2 million cases of COVID-19 is in that age group. So there are 2 million kids who have had COVID in that age group. So you can't tell me that they're not you know, at risk for getting COVID. We are seeing cases of COVID-19 in the age groups that we have the vaccinations for, and we do see those ages also ending up at the hospital. So they are at risk for that. Even though they're more resilient and often asymptomatic or not as severe, those cases do get severe. We know that with chronic diseases, we have lots of kids with asthma and other conditions that make them more at risk for this. But in general, we do have cases that are occurring with kids that are, have COVID. Dr. Tracy Smith with the Illinois Public Health Association. Again, we're hoping to make this a, a regular part of the show to bring you back when we uh, have these issues that need to be uh, tamped down and to have the record set straight. In the meantime, is there a, an online resource or some other place that people can go to get legitimate, documented information, not just relying on Facebook memes or what somebody you know posted on uh, YouTube, uh, but to really get authentic information from medical professionals and experts? The one place I really have been sending a lot of um, families and other residents is, is to a place called Truth Check. If you just put that into your search bar, Truth Check will come up 
and it does a whole training about how to tell what's the truth, where are great places to look at, how do you, you know, interpret data and, and make sure that it's making sense and that it is accurate data. So I really encourage individuals to go to Truth Check. The CDC website, our, our, our evidence-based um, data is out there. HelpGuideThrive.org is our website where we are linking you back to those types of places that are evidence-based, um, providing that information. And then if you want to know where you can get your vaccines at, go to vaccines.org. They have a list of where are the current vaccinations in your zip code being offered that you can get to those appointments and be um, able to get those vaccinations. Dr. Tracy Smith, as always, thank you for your time. A pleasure to talk to you. Uh, Have a wonderful holiday season, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you very much.